Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Wow, there are a lot of children here today. That it's It was full a minute ago, and now they're in children's church. That's pretty cool. That was just kind of shocking to me. But anyway, we're in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me today, I'd appreciate that. I was kind of bummed. We, uh, we finished Galatians. I'm like, what do I do now? Like, what, where do I go now? And and there's always those times in between different series that we have coming up. And I just, I felt on my heart uh, either to go Sermon on the Mount or, um, or to, to teach on parables. And I, I, this, this is kind of where my heart settled. And I think God led me to this parable today. So we're in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to be talking about the parable um, of the two debtors. Those who had, had each had a debt uh, forgiven, different, different amounts, but both forgiven um, by the creditor. And uh, we're going to see how that that applies to our lives as well. But I, I, want, us to, to, I want to say a couple things about um, parables before we, we get started uh, back in here. Um, Jesus, when he spoke in parables, one, there's a couple things I think that were really necessary to think about. One was, one was this, that he, he spoke to people who had ears to hear or eyes to see. And that didn't always happen, right? And, and he wanted people to understand, I, I'm, I'm speaking in parables because some aren't listening and some don't want to understand. So it really comes down to you and I to really pay attention with our heart and to open our heart and our mind to be receptive to what God's Word will say to us. And that, that's a lot of God's doing, God drawing and, and massaging your heart and, and tilling the soil of your heart so that you would hear the message. Because the stories he told, the parables he told, uh, had an audience there that, that a lot of them were not receptive to what was being said. And that was the other part of this. Uh, one, one is that he, he speaks to people who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And then the other part is he typically uses the people in the audience to whom he's telling the story in the parable. Like you can find yourself in the parable. So that's pretty important if we're listening to a parable from Jesus, that we can find ourselves in that parable, identify which one we are, and then decide how we're going to respond to Christ. Now, when he first shared it, it was totally for the benefit of the people who heard, but certainly his word is timeless, and you and I can find ourselves stuck right in the middle of those parables as well. Um, one, of the, one of the big things that he was against and Jesus was coming up against were the Pharisees, right? These, these religious elite who said, we have it all together, Jesus. We figured this out. We know the law inside and out. We know how to have power and how to have control. Uh, and what are you going to add to that? What are you going to bring? And, and just like the Galatians series we came out of, these Judaizers who wanted to, to okay, Jesus is great, but we're going to add to it the law. They wanted to maintain power and ego. And, and there, was, there was two kind of forms of pride they maintained, and we'll see this played out today. One was pride and ego, right? It was the ego pride. It was like, I'm good. I'm awesome. I, look, look what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. Look how great I am. You can't add anything to me. I've, I'm going to uh, take care of it all on my own, right? That's the pride side that says I'm so great. The other side is, is pride, but it's opposite of, of the outspoken pride. It's, it's shame. See, I think down at the core of the Pharisees' heart, you see, we, we see the Pharisees in the light of in the synagogue with all their buddies around them or, or on the street with Jesus face to face and they had to look a certain way. I think in the middle of in the night when they're at their home trying to sleep in bed, the thing they dealt with most was shame. They knew that, that they portrayed one thing to the world around them, but deep down in their heart, in the middle of the night, they knew exactly how far from God they were. I mean, Jesus continually told them that they were whitewashed tombs. Hey, you look great on the outside. You're all pretty and made up and get your flowers and your whatever. But on the inside, you are dead. And when you would go back home, and with that kind of, of, of encouraging words from Jesus, right? You go back home, 
the thing on your mind was the shame and guilt that was still there and wasn't, it wasn't dealt with. Just because you looked the part and you, you spoke the part and you tried your best to, to fool everybody, you couldn't fool God and you certainly couldn't fool yourself. So there's a, there's a shame pride, right? Because what it's saying, what shame says is, I really should have it all together and look a certain way and I really don't want anyone to see me exposed. That's where shame keeps us. But Jesus came to free us from shame by taking the shame on the cross. And we'll see that played out in this story as well and the response to that as well. So we keep in mind that we ought to have ears to hear, eyes to see, right? Hearts that are open and receptive to the word of God and that we find ourselves somewhere in this story, in this illustration that Jesus gives us and that we would find ourselves faithful and not self-righteous, okay? Let's pray, and we'll get started in in Luke chapter 7. Father, we're so grateful to you that you are a good and gracious God, that you have pursued us and drawn us towards you. God, I I pray that as, as we look to your word today, we'd open our hearts and our minds, we'd open our ears and our eyes, that we would see exactly what you want us to see. We'd see exactly what you have for us today, that your Holy Spirit would challenge us and change us. God, that we would be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ whom we love. And we pray it all in his precious name. Amen. So we're in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. We'll go through the end uh, of that chapter, okay? Luke 7, 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus uh, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had, who had uh, invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say, some, say something among themselves. Who is this man who even, for, uh, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So today we're going to look, take a look at this, this parable, and uh, I want to make some observations about it, see what we can find out and pull from it, okay? Here, here's the first part. Number one, those happy and humble in Christ, those that are happy and humble in Christ are shameless. Those that are happy and humble in Christ are shameless. Listen, when you and I have been changed and transformed by Jesus Christ, everything changes. That shame that was keeping us from from being vulnerable, it's out the window. We were absolutely vulnerable and exposed before Jesus Christ. 
Because that's the only way we could come to him, right? We come to him empty. We don't attach anything to ourselves because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? We, we come to him absolutely empty. Shame and all, guilt and all, ego and all, thrown aside because Jesus has conquered that. And we have embraced Christ. And, and those who have been found in Christ and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, we are now happy and, and humble and we are shameless. We can come to Christ shameless. Think, look at this passage in 36 and th- through 38. One of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman uh, in, the town, uh, in, in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. I want, to, I want us to see the contrast here between the Pharisee and this woman. Right? If this woman is representing those who are happy and humble in Christ, then she is the one that is shameless. And if, if the Pharisee is not representing the shameless and happy and humble, then he is the proud. Right? And think of, think of this. This Pharisee invites Jesus in. And it was customary during that day to, to come to the house and let's have discussions, let's talk. And, and even because the Pharisees were so proud of how intellectual they were, they would leave the doors open so people could come around and listen intently to what they said and learn from what they said. So the doors in this house were open, and, and Jesus had been invited in. But it was very customary to have a, a greeting at the door. It was very customi- customary for the host to greet him with a kiss, right? It was very customary for the host to let the servant wash your guest's feet. It was very customary for, for the host to anoint the head with olive oil, signifying the, the freshness of conversation to come. But Jesus comes through the door, and, and none of that happens, and he comes and sits and reclines at the table. You see, the Pharisee had ulterior motives, The Pharisee didn't want to learn from Jesus, didn't want to converse with Jesus. The Pharisee, in his pride and ego and power trip, wanted to trap Jesus. And if you look at the Gospels, what you see is on and on and on, every time Pharisees and teachers of the law trying to to trip Jesus up, right? They want to catch Jesus in some kind of a a weird conundrum so they could point out how how off base he is. And Jesus is is coming and presenting himself like, hey, I'm the one sent from God. I'm the Messiah, so, and that really gets on their skin because they want the power. They don't want to give the power to the Messiah, whether he's going to save us from sin and, and for eternity or whether he's going to reign and rule now, which the disciples thought, right, that, that Jesus was there to reign and rule over Jerusalem now, over Israel now. They didn't want to give up their power. So they wanted to demote him from Messiah to something different. And we'll see that progression as, as they sit around this table, what they do in their mind and how they see Jesus. But they, they're wanting to gather evidence against him so they can get rid of him. Right? It's like the mafia. We're going to get rid of you, but we can't do it in a way that, that makes the people mad. We've got to do it in a legal, legitimate way. So let's gather, let's talk, let's trip him up, let's gather evidence against him, and then let's crucify him. Imagine that. How did Jesus die? He was crucified. Why was he crucified? For blasphemy. He said he was God in the flesh, that he could forgive sins. How dare he say that? He said he was God, and, he, and guess what? He died on the cross because he said he was God. That was the crime he, he, was, he was crucified for. Because he was God, he actually was able to die in our place for the crimes that we had committed. And three days later, right, he proved that. He's like, oh, hey, I'm alive. I'm not dead. Death can't hold me anymore because I told you I was God, and I am God. And everything then, I, a couple weeks ago we talked about this, right? Everything then got real. Got real, real quick, right? So we see this risen, risen Jesus has this this. This, this victory over death, right? He proves he's the Messiah, but before he goes there, they're trying to get evidence so they can get rid of him. 
right? So they can at least discredit him at the, at the worst. They're going to, let's just kill him. Let's get him out of our, our, out of our hair so we can go on being powerful again. That was his motive. His motive was to gather evidence, right? He had the attitude that uh, was based on, on his shame and his pride. I don't want to be exposed. While the other, right, the woman who came, the woman couldn't help but love Jesus. And, and no matter the shame or the cost, she would go to him and pour out love on him. That's very, very interesting as you read this, this passage. And uh, the, the indication is that this is certainly a woman who had met Jesus at a time before and, and had a salvation experience with him, had, had believed in him for forgiveness. Because this outpouring we see later on, this outpouring of love only comes because of the remission of sin. It's not something that she's doing to try to earn favor with God. It's something that she is doing because God has reached in and touched her heart and forgiven her. And see, when we, when we become happy, those are happy and humble in Christ, right? When we're in Christ, we become happy and, and we're humble people. We're shameless. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that I, that I, an unclean woman, walk into a Pharisee's house. Just think of that going on. There's crowds are watching around and she hears Jesus is there. She's like, I need, to, I need just to show my worship and love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and everyone knew this woman was a notor- notorious sinner. And it said, that, it said that she was sinful. It's probably an adulterer or adulteress, a woman who would sleep with other women's husbands, right? She was a prostitute. So she had a shady past, right? And, and if the Pharisee had known or, 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 or seen her uh, at first when she came in the door, she probably, she, he probably would have kicked her out. Or maybe he wanted to let her in to see what would happen and play out and maybe get more evidence against Jesus. Because where did she go? She went right to Jesus. And this unclean woman started weeping on Jesus and touching his feet and, and letting her hair down. And just the shame was gone. There was no shame anymore because the Pharisee was looking at her of who she was. And Jesus was looking at her for who she now is because of Christ. And see, the happy and humble are shameless. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. I want to read this to you. This is out of the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of it. It's the Beatitudes. It says, The poor in spirit are blessed, or that word blessed is happy. The poor in spirit are happy, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn are happy, for they will be comforted. The gentle or meek are happy, for they will inherit the earth. And finally, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are happy, for they will be filled. See, this woman experienced that. She understood what it was to mourn over her sin, to to know she was so lost and so separated from God, to understand the depth of her shame and depth of her guilt, and it didn't keep her from going to Jesus. You see, those things keep us from going to Jesus. Those things keep our friends from going to Jesus. Those things certainly kept the Pharisees from going to Jesus in in vulnerability. But this woman, poor in spirit as she was, knew how separated she was, and she grieved over her sin, and she approached Jesus in a gentle, meek way, an empty way, because only he could fill. And that hunger and thirst she had was filled by the righteousness of Christ, because he was the Messiah. And the outpouring of love that she had was, was that joy and that happiness, because she had been forever changed by Jesus Christ. And she shamelessly expressed her humility and gratitude to the Lord Jesus. Those happy and humble in Christ can be shameless, no matter the cost. She brought in this fragrant oil, which was typically the form of payment or a form of payment for prostitutes. It was a way better oil than the olive oil used to anoint people's heads. So it was a, a very expensive oil in an alabaster jar, not just your ordinary jar. This was like your great-grandma's jar that was passed down, right? This was, this was a jar. 
And she didn't matter, didn't matter the cost. She came in. You're not supposed to let your hair down as a woman. That was disgraceful and shameful. She did to, to wash Jesus' feet. She came shameless because she was happy and humble in Christ. This, what's the next thing we see? Number two. The self-righteous pay more attention to others' sins. The self-righteous pay more attention to others' sins. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw what? Saw this woman washing Jesus' feet and weeping over him and you know, washing with her hair. He said to himself, so he murmured to himself or, or said it silently in his head, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. So the Pharisees really, really liked to do this. I want you to understand. They liked to murmur, right, under their breath, like to, to say things kind of, Silently, so no one could really hear, but they wanted to say it. Or they thought those things. Now, Jesus has been invited in as, as the man who claims he's the Messiah. And they think that's evil, so he's the evil Messiah. And then it makes more progression. that He's like, well, maybe he's a prophet, because, you know, we'll see. We'll see what he says. And then when, when he makes his observation, he says, look, this prophet, this man, can't, he can't even be a good prophet. Because he doesn't know, know right, who's, who's touching him, who this woman is. He's obviously not even a prophet. He's just ignorant. So he's gone from Messiah to evil Messiah to prophet, now to just ignorant, plain ignorant. And he's gathering all this evidence against Jesus. And he's ignorant because Jesus obviously didn't know who this woman was, because obviously if he did, he would have pushed her aside and said, get away from me, don't touch me, you're unclean. But that's not how the Messiah treats people, right? Right. So very interesting that others who are self-righteous want to point out other people's sin. Not, not their own. They don't want, we, God forbid we look at our own heart, right? We, look, we, we let God expose this for what it really is because then we'd be in a little trouble, wouldn't we? Then we'd be feeling a little unclean ourselves. Then we'd say to Jesus, man, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. But he uses that excuse. He says, basically in his mind, don't you know? Don't you know who this woman is? Everyone else knows, right? Jesus, don't you know? And it's an excuse. Don't you know? Don't look at me. Don't, no, no, don't look at me. But don't you know about her? And, I, and I, listen, I think you and I use this also. I know I do. You know, I, I, I'm married, right? So two self-centered sinners decided to cohabitate and, get, and make a covenant together, right? Before God. That's what we are. We're two self-centered sinners wanting to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and wanting to love each other. Right? Don't get me wrong. It's not like we're just roommates. My wife and I love each other. But we are two self-centered sinners. Amen? That's difficult, isn't it? That makes life difficult. There are times I really irk my wife. There are times, and that's saying, yeah, oh yeah, it's a true story. <laughs> and there are times that she really irks me. And there are times I know I've had a conversation with my, my guy friends, my accountability, the guys who actually point me back to Jesus. And I'll say things like, you, know, you, know, don't you, you don't know. You don't even know what she did. You, you don't even know how, how, what she said to me. You don't know. And what I'm implying is, you have no right to tell me that I should repent and say sorry or, or, or you'll seek to forgive. You don't know. You don't know what my friend said at work. You don't know what my dad told me. You don't know what my dad's done to me. How dare you try and judge me? You don't know. And that's, that's the excuse we use, isn't it? And maybe it's not, not, not you as a husband saying it about your wife. Maybe your wife saying that to a friend about your husband. You don't know what he did this time. You don't know. You know what? Maybe I don't. And I hear that all the time. 
you come into my office, we talk, we counsel, and you're like, oh, you don't know what he's done this time, or you don't know what she's done this time, or you don't know blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't. But Jesus does. He does know. And what Jesus is calling us to is not proud, stubborn resentment and bitterness. He's calling us to exposed, vulnerable, humble forgiveness. And it, it starts with us knowing Christ and how he's forgiven us. This Pharisee said, you don't know because he actually didn't know Jesus. And he didn't know what it was like to be forgiven of so much. To really embrace Christ. He says, you don't know. And I, 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 would, I would encourage you, don't get stuck in that trap. Don't get stuck in that trap telling people or telling Jesus, well, God, you don't know how hard it is to love that person. I can see Jesus saying, Really? I don't know how hard it is to love. I went to the cross. Remember that? Remember that place I got nailed? Yeah. That was, that was me knowing how hard it is to love that person or love you. It's a reality check, isn't it? And this Pharisee didn't want anything to do with the reality check. He wanted to gather evidence against Christ so he could crucify him. Right? And even knowing Christ went to the cross for that Pharisee too. You don't know what it's like. Flip over in Luke to chapter 18 real quick. We'll come back to chapter 7. Chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. It's another parable we'll study at a later time, but a very, very good illustration here. This proud, proud, self-righteous attitude that pays more attention to other people's sin. Luke 18, verses 9 through 11 say this. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to, right, there's an audience, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Sound familiar? You don't know how bad that person is. Let's keep reading. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You see, you see the self-righteous attitude there? God, when we pray and say, God, I thank you that I'm not like those guys, we're in trouble. Because we haven't really understood our own depth of our own sin and our relationship with Jesus yet. And this Pharisee was, was barely even understanding the surface. Jesus was trying to show that, that if you really love, or you will really love if you're really forgiven. You'll really love. You'll, you'll, you'll just pour out of you. The truth is, I may not know what your spouse has done or how deeply they've hurt you, but Jesus does. And he's stretching out his arms, longing to forgive and restore the relationship you and your spouse or you and your friend have with Jesus and also to restore the relationship you have with them. We have to get over ourselves because if we don't, Jesus is going to expose that pride and it's going to hurt. And it may cause a lot of destruction, may cause a lot of burned bridges in the meantime. We need to let God heal those relationships. That leads us to number three, going back to our passage in Luke 7. Number three is this, the proud are exposed while the humble are exalted. The proud are exposed while the humble are exalted. Let's look at verses 40 through 46 of Luke chapter 7. Jesus replied to him. So this is just after verse 39, right? He had, the Pharisee had invited him in. He, he was thinking to himself, this man, if he were a prophet... Right, he was demoting him, uh, would know what kind of woman this is touching him. Don't you know? She's a sinner, right? 
So, so he's, the, he's demoted from prophet now to ignorant, like, bad guy, right? And now Jesus replied to him. So Jesus kind of elevated himself again. Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. Uh, teacher? He says, teacher? Say it. Say it. Just let's get it over with. Uh, what, what do you got? A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them would love him more? Simon answered, I, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said, do you see this woman? I want, now listen, I want you to think about this. Simon had just got done thinking, right? He had just got done thinking, doesn't Jesus see this woman? Don't you know Jesus, don't you know who this is? Don't you see this woman? And what does Jesus say? He turns to the woman and he says, do you see this woman? Because you're not seeing her in the right perspective, right? Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Jesus just exposes it all, doesn't he? He puts this little grenade on there and boom, it blows their minds. There's this contrast now. There's this parable told. The parable was of two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and one owed 50. And, and the, the creditor forgave them both. And he asked the question, what, which one of you or which one would love them more? Well, the one who got forgiven of more. Yeah, you've answered correctly. And this is a difficult parable in some ways because we, we try to identify, well, who's, who's the, the great debtor here and who's the, the little debt person here and, and who's the Pharisee, who's the woman, and who's Jesus, and how do we, how do we relate this to one another? And I, I want us to, to think about a couple things. Um, as we look at this, this parable, I think there are two ways this can go, and, and we'll start with the, one, the first way that's probably not as, not as accurate. The first way is this, and I started to think this as I prayed through this and thought through this text, that, that the, the Pharisee is there and, and Jesus tells this story of two people forgiven of debt, and both of them respond with love, one with a little love, one with no love, or one with, with much love, I'm sorry, one with a little love, one with much love. And, and what I saw at, at first, I'm like, wow, well, the Pharisee didn't even respond with any love, did he? I mean, Jesus made it clear. He said, I came to your door, and you didn't give me any water for my feet. There's no love there. Is that, is that little love or no love? Okay. So I thought, well, he's just leaving the Pharisee out. The Pharisee is not even showing up to the party, right? He's not even in the parable. He doesn't even get to get, a, get an honorable mention like the guy who had forgiven of, of little. I'm thinking he's, he's just missing altogether. But as I read this, Jesus always pulls them in. And, and what I want to understand, want us to understand, I think Jesus as well, the Pharisees considered themselves the righteous. And if you go to Luke 15 and you're thinking about, the, you don't have to go there now, but if you go there and you're looking at the, the prodigal son or the, the, the lost coin or the lost sheep, what it's saying is that there's more, more joy or more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents, right? Who, who humbles themselves and comes to God empty and he fills them with his righteousness. There's more rejoicing over that one sinner who repents rather than 99 who what? Need no repentance. Now, it's not because those sheep are all forgiven and good with the Father. It's because those sheep think they're forgiven and good with the Father. Because in those stories of those nine coins or, those, or the, the lost sheep or the, or the son, right, the other brother, all of them were lost. 
The only one that was found was the one. And Jesus made it very clear that there was more rejoicing in heaven over that one. Of course, more and more love poured out and more excitement and more joy filled that, that lost sinner's mind and heart and soul when they were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But those 99 or the nine coins or the one brother, the other brother, they had no relationship with the father. They had no relationship with the shepherd. They had no relationship with, with the coin owner. They were the ones who thought they didn't need any repentance. And that's the Pharisees. I, we're good. I look good. I've, I've got it under control. I've done so much good. I, I could take a vacation from good for a while and still be good. That's how they felt. So in this parable, what, here's what the Pharisee would say. I'm so good. There's very, very little I need to be forgiven of. There's very, very little I need to be forgiven of. So when Jesus makes it clear, he's like, let's take a look. Because when I forgive, I forgive of everything. I forgive much. And there is no difference between your sin and my sin. When we come to the Father empty, he, he forgives it all and creates a righteousness in us that's from himself alone. And in that, we all rejoice. Whether you're a murderer and I'm a liar or I'm a murderer and you're a liar, we come to the Father very clean, right? We come to the Father excited in our soul that he has filled us with a hope and a joy that we could never attain on our own. And we then overflow with love to him, amen? It is not about, well, I... I was a pretty good person, so I got forgiven of a little bit. But I, and I don't really have a lot of love for Jesus because it wasn't a, wasn't a deep amount. But man, you, I've seen your life. And man, you changed everything. It was crazy. You, you should have more love. What he was saying is this Pharisee was this guy who got forgiven of a little because he was the righteous who didn't need to be forgiven of much. And what he said is, you showed me little love. What he showed him was no love. The little love you showed me was you didn't greet me with any foot washing. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But she, but she showed that she was forgiven of much. The love poured out because she was forgiven of much. And you're not. You're not at all. See, there should be this overflow in our hearts. There are absolute similarities when it comes to you and I being forgiven. Each of us have, have sinned in our own way. Each of us have fallen short of God's glory in our own way. Each of us has separated ourselves in our own way. And, and, and our sin is all different. Some, some's the same, some overlaps, but it's all different. And what God does is approaches us and tries to connect with us and draw us to him from wherever we are. That we would understand our deep need for him and that we would empty ourselves of our own pride, our own ego. We'd separate us from our sin and say, God, I, I want to be, be yours now. I want you to fill me up. And when he fills us, he doesn't just fill a little bit with a little bit of love pouring out. He fills us to overflowing that we would overflow with love towards him and towards others. There are differences, however, in, in I think the grace that he gives us. You know I, know, I know families, I know individuals who cannot seem to catch a break. It's like I get another call and it's another prayer request for the same family. It's a bigger thing. Like, what in the world is going on? And I know God is giving them more grace than me, more grace to, to sustain them, more endurance, more, more love, more faith. Because it's a necessity there. But it doesn't mean we love, love God differently or less. It means God sustains us each in our own way. So there are differences, I think, in the grace God gives to each person, depending on what we go through and where we live. Think about the grace necessary right now for those who, who are being persecuted and martyred for their faith around the world. You talk about us in, in America. We don't need a lot of grace for that, do we? Those, those around the world need the grace to be singing the Hallelujah song as the steamroller runs over them. That's grace. 
It's a stronger grace than, than we're, we're getting, or that we need, rather. But as far as salvation goes, we have all, when we come to Christ empty, we are all in the same category that we have been forgiven of much, not just a little. If you think, oh, I just need a, need a little forgiveness, then you're the Pharisee. I'm so good, I, I barely even need any forgiveness. Don't worry about it, Jesus. No, no, he's worried about it. He's worried about your heart. I love how they make this contrast. Jesus says, you know, you gave me no water. I came to your house and you gave me no water. Remember a few, a few weeks ago we talked about the household of God and how we're a family, right, and how we, how we greet each other. Some people don't like the greetings and we, we shake hands or we give a hug sometimes. We don't like, the, oh, we don't like that. Imagine if we started this. Next week we'll start the uh, foot washing and kisses at the front door, <laughs> right? We'll anoint your head with oil as you come in. We'll have a fresh time together. But this, this Pharisee should have done that to honor, to honor and respect Jesus. If there's any love in his heart, and there wasn't, he did none of that. And Jesus called it out on him. He exposed him for who he was. Matthew 23, 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, those who have come empty and exposed to Jesus and have believed in Jesus have been forgiven and filled. Those who come with pride will be exposed and they will not be filled. That leads us to number four, our last point. Christ canceling sin awakens love in our hearts. See, when Christ cancels our sin, it should awaken love in our hearts. And I want us to understand it's not, this isn't backwards. We're not trying to do this works, then salvation. We, we come to Christ empty. He fills us up and then he changes us and makes us into a new person. And everything that comes from that is different because of it. Love pouring out to Jesus is evidence that Christ has forgiven us. Let's look at the passage, 47 through 50. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. Why did she love much? Because her many sins were forgiven. It wasn't because she came in there and wept behind Jesus and wet his feet and washed with her hair. And, 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 and that, I mean, it was a special moment. It was a grieving moment, a sorrowful moment. I think there was a lot of joy in her heart at that point, though. She just couldn't help but love the Jesus who had forgiven her of sin. And it was an overflow at that point. It goes on, it says, uh, but the one who is forgiven little loves little, right? He says, there's no love here. You think you need to be forgiven of maybe a little, maybe nothing because you're self-righteous. There is no love here. You're not giving me any love at all. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And this is a, a continual working tense of the word. They have been forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Praise God, your sins are forgiven. You, you, we could say about you, your sins are forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. You have an amazing faith. Go in peace. Again, this Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee was looking at this woman for who she was. And Jesus was looking at her now who she had become in Christ. And everything had changed. And, and I want you to think about that. We, we think about ourselves in a self-righteous way, like, oh, well, that family or that person or such and such, they've gone through a tough time, and boy, they've walked away for, you know, from Christ for a long ways, and I don't know. We, we can't start to judge, right? God is, is a God who restores and redeems relationship. God draws us back into a relationship with Him so that, that our love can be poured out to Him. And then as we pour our, out, our love out to him, there's this peace in our life that points people around us to Jesus. Listen, you do not have to measure up to the person you're sitting next to. In fact, you need to stop trying to do that. 
You just need to measure yourself against God and let him, let him do the work inside of you that you could never, ever do. See, this woman got that. The Pharisee, no way. But the woman got that. Turn to, turn to Psalm 32. We'll close there today. Interesting, though, right? Jesus had gone on this progression from, he says he's a Messiah. Well, he must be evil. So he's an evil Messiah. Let's invite him in and give it, get evidence. Then, well, he's just a prophet. And then he, oh, he didn't even know this woman. So now he's a, an ignorant prophet. He's just ignorant altogether, right? He's oblivious. And then he, then he reads his mind and says, I know what you're thinking. Don't you, why don't you look at this woman? Uh-oh, maybe he's a prophet. Let's start talking now. He knows a little more, right? And now at the end of the story, we find Jesus doing what? Forgiving her sins. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't that only the Father can forgive sins? And there Jesus is forgiving sins. He's back now to that evil Messiah. He's an evil guy saying he can forgive sins. But I want us to look at this, this happiness, this joy we have in Christ from Psalm 32, 1 through, 1 through 5. It says, How happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Are you happy today? Are you happy that your sins have been forgiven? Is there joy that, that your transgressions have been covered? How happy is the man the Lord does not charge with sin and, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. But then look what happened. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. See, there was this vulnerability, this exposure that has to happen, this humility that has to happen before God, on our knees saying, God, here's who I really am. You know me. You know me, and you have to take care of this. I can't do it on my own. And he says, um, then I acknowledge my sin to you, and you did not, and, and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. And look at verse 1 again. How happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. You see, there's joy knowing that our, our sin is forgiven. Jesus canceling our sin awakens a love and a joy inside of us that will overflow, not only to the Lord and to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it will overflow to the world and community around us. It's not because you're so awesome. It's not because you've done everything right. It's because Jesus has done everything right on your behalf. And just like this woman, she understood how deeply she needed the Lord. Amen? She went to him in humility, understanding the depth of her sin and the sorrow and the grief over her sin and knowing that he is the one who could restore. He is the one who could make new. He is the one who could heal. And that's what she found because she understood she needed him. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, we, we desperately need you. We need you in more ways than we could ever even imagine. And God, we're thankful that you are close, that you are near, that you are ready to draw us into your presence. But God, as we are drawn, please humble us. Please make us so aware of the reality and the depth of our sin that we would not take a self-righteous stance thinking that I am so good, I'm only in need of a little forgiveness. God, ruin us, wreck us. Break our heart that we would see the depth of our sin against you. And as we see the depth of our sin and present it to you, God, that you would be the God who forgives, the God who heals, the God who restores, and then the God who overflows in us love and joy and hope because you are good. We are thankful for you. Help us lean on you. Lord, we need you. We need you to, to be our everything. 
We're so grateful for who you are, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, as we close.